Thanks, Chris Muller. It's a pleasure, Curtis. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Me as well. And Chris Evans, thank you once again. It's nice to know I haven't got to do any editing for this. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it all. Welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And uh, with me, I hope today, is Prasanna Maliandi. He's having a little technical difficulties right now. And we have uh, two very special guests today. The first one I'd like to introduce, he's been in IT for over 32 years, mostly in storage. He uh, blogs for architecting.it and runs the great Storage Unpacked podcast, which I listen to and have actually fashioned this podcast after. Uh, I, I learned that he sold music for a while back in 1998, and I'm going to call him a quiz champion. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris Evans. Hey, thanks, Curtis. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you. Our, my second guest is uh, has been in IT for 46 years. I knew him as a writer. I actually did not know that he started his career actually in IT, writing COBOL programs for IBM 360, 370. That predates my time. Uh, he ha for, has been the storage editor at The Register for over 15 years and also as the storage editor for Blocks and Files. Turns out he likes driving cars very fast. He drives them to the edge of a cliff and then, and then climbs down that cliff as a rock climber, climbs back up and drives a car very fast away from the cliff. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Meller. Always a pleasure talking to you, Curtis. Always. And by the way, I'll mention that I do work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are my own. I also work for Druva. Oh, there he is, Prasanna. I was, <laughs> I was so, so hoping that you would make it back. I'm not sure. I, I, had, to, I had to keep going because okay. uh, we're short on time here. Welcome to the podcast, Prasanna. Thanks, Curtis. <laughs> Yay! There you go. So what I wanted to discuss this week is the Forrester Wave on Data Resiliency Solutions, which I want to start with Chris Meller. Chris, you've seen a number of these, both the Forrester Waves, you know, the Gartner reports, um, IDC reports. Uh, do, do you have like a, like a general overview opinion of these, of these things? Yeah, <clears throat> I think they're great. From, from my point of view, we, we've got 10 or 15 or sometimes more suppliers in a table and they're ranked and separated mm -hmm. and they're graded as well. And from the writing point of view, then it's really quite easy to say that Actifio is in a certain state and Convault is in another and there they are on the, on the screen in front of you in a diagram. Whereas if you're trying to describe companies that you don't necessarily know a lot about, in a way that hasn't been measured by a consultant, then it's relative and vague. It's not so definitive. So for me, the Gartner Magic Quadrants, the IDC Marketscapes, and the Forrester Waves have a lot of value. I enjoy looking at them, and I enjoy writing about them. And do you, when you talk to uh, people that represent the solutions, I, I, I assume you probably get a lot of spin on the, on the solutions. That's to a certain extent is fair, but usually the spin comes when a supplier is being defensive about a position. We didn't move very much or we moved backwards in some way. Right, right. Yet, right. Uh, I, I haven't yet met a supplier 
I have met one supplier who voluntarily removed themselves from an MQ because they thought it wasn't respective of what they did. But all other suppliers and all the MQs I've dealt with have taken them extremely seriously. Their customers pay a heck of a lot of attention to these MQs and these Forrester Waves, and they want to have as high a ranking as possible. Right. You know, you, you mentioned that. I do know that, like, for example, in this particular report, one of the suppliers pulled themselves out of this report because for whatever their reasoning, right, they decided mm. that that it wasn't, it, you know, it's mentioned in the report that, that they pulled out of the report. Uh, I can imagine them not liking the direction the report was taking, which I, which was very cloud-centric, um, or, well, cloud, I don't know, cloud-centric, but it was definitely very respective of the cloud. Um, and, and maybe they didn't feel they had the best story in that area, so they, they pulled out. I'm sure they, they didn't have a good story at all. Um, basically, right. an on-premises on provider of appliances for backup and data protection and this sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, um, they're going to get more involved with VMware, but I should stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Evans, so what, what's, your, what's been your general opinion of these reports? Um, I'm sort of, I'm on the one hand, I think I like them, but on the other hand, I don't. So I'm sort of like somewhere in the middle. And I think the reason for that is uh, on, the, on the idea of liking them, it, it gives you an opportunity to understand vendors that you may not have seen before in the market. So you get mm -hmm. to learn about them, get to learn about their products, which is a, a useful thing. But I do think a lot of the data that's within them is generally subjective based on whoever actually interviewed that company and how good that mm. company's marketing um, people were in order to explain the technology. And sometimes the devil can be in the detail with a piece of technology that doesn't necessarily come out in these sort of reports. Right, right. Uh, I, I've looked at, you know, because I, I spent most of my career not on the vendor side. I was on, you know, uh, you know, more independent side. And I was often, I would use these reports to get, a general sense, I think, of a company, but I, one of the things I've always, when I was working with companies, the difficulty I would have is if they took a particular report and, and it seems to be more true, you know, especially the Gartner Magic Quadrant, they would let, you know, if it's not, if it's, if a company is simply not listed there, uh, or if a company is not listed in a prominent way, then that company is just simply left out of a of an evaluation. I, I don't know if you have you encountered that. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, it's a pretty um, straightforward method, isn't it? If you want to narrow down the the working set of the people you'll evaluate, you, you do it by picking some arbitrary way of selecting them. And Magic Quadrant or other those those other types of technologies. Sorry, those other types of reports are a great way of doing it. I think the trouble with that is though that you could miss something that you might you might never find out about. The problem is, how do you balance the two? How do you try and evaluate the entire market, but at the same time, not spend weeks and months and years trying to find a solution? So you can see why people do use them as a, as a tool for narrowing down their It's like car and driver's choices. top 10 cars of the year sort of a thing. Similar kind of a well, now, now, <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, now you're talking up uh, Chris Meller's uh, uh, area there. Uh, what, what kind of fast car do you drive, Chris? Porsches. Porsches. Always, always Porsches. Interesting. But, uh, right. The, it, it's, it's the boundaries that are important to these MQs and waves, isn't it? If you're one's the wrong side of a boundary, then you could be ejected from an IT director's or a CIO's buying list because of that. 
And I, the, the boundaries, are, I think, are entirely subjective on this Forest of Wave thing, divided between the strong performers and leaders. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't really be a step function. It's more of a, a, a spectrum, isn't it? Well, so the difference between yeah. very awesome team on this, with one being a strong performer and the other being a leader, is very, very slight, really. And yet there they are in two completely different categories. Yeah, that 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 that's really interesting. I, I I know why they put you know just like the with the magic quadrant, they've got four quadrants here. They've got four waves, um, and the they do that so that you know companies like like Druva can say, well, we're you know we're a strong performer, right? They mm-hmm. you know you want you can't say we're in the upper right to left, uh, you know, higher than the midline you know they they do that so that they people can say roughly where they are on the report but i agree i I know exactly what you're saying that the difference between veritas and veeam in this report is somewhat minuscule and yet one is in one category and one is in another the difficulty i've had is the the degree to which market share impacts a placement in a report yeah it's a factor but i don't think it is a fact as much of a factor as people might think. Okay. So it's the quality of the software offering that gets them in there, not their revenue share. Okay. All right. Chris, um, Evan, yeah. do, you, do you have yeah. a thought? Yeah, I think um, I think the other Chris is right because if you look at IBM, IBM are way down, and IBM have got similar market share to Veritas, Commvault, Cohesity in, in terms of the size of that little disk. But if you're dealing with enterprise customers, IBM, Commvault, Veritas, that's probably the sweet spot those companies played in. Whereas Veeam, bearing in mind their revenue and number of customers are probably, and they'll, they'll probably ring me up and shoot me for saying it, but um, they're more sort of like SMB or you know mid-range rather than being full, you know, real top enterprise. So it depends. You could look at that and think if you're a, a big enterprise, you might not choose the right product and vice versa. Yeah, you know, which brings me to one of the areas that Forrester rated was scalability. And the, the way that they decided to find out, they needed a metric, they needed a number to determine how scalable you were rather than evaluate you on it. You know, they're not going to evaluate you on a technical basis and decide, okay, this product is more scalable than that product. The way they decided to do that was to ask for the number of terabytes of storage at your largest customers. And um, with that, Veeam scored high. But, you know, you look at Veeam, for example, and a large customer consists of many, many installations of Veeam. It's not a single large installation of Veeam. So I wouldn't think of that as a way to measure scalability. Does that make sense? There's no way you could get accurate measure of scalability of a supplier just by asking who their largest customer is. It varies with how long they've been in business, for goodness sake. Uh, and also there's something called standard deviation and there's mean and there's mode and there's other ways of measuring something than picking the largest supply, largest um, customer out. You know, if you've got a, a huge customer and every single other customer is tiny um, and you've got hundreds of thousands of customers, that uh, the average looks really weird. The standard deviation mm-hmm. would look weird. Mm-hmm. It would look you know, different. So you can't just use one metric to, to make that sort of assumption. Well, they, they didn't use just the largest customer. It was like the five largest customers, but still when you're, you know, when you're talking about the, the number of customers that most of these companies have, it, that, that's still, I was just arguing that I have done 
reports like this, but on behalf of customers before. And I've asked things like, give me something, you know, the size of your largest, single largest deployment in a single configuration, right? That to me would show you how scalable your your size is. And I, I would got, I, I've got to believe that, for example, Commvault, they're because they've got this concept of media servers and whatnot, that their single largest deployment would be bigger than a single largest deployment of Beam. I don't know if that's... But you just you just highlighted one really obvious issue with that, and that's deployment. What do you mean by deployment? If I've got a data center where I've got 100 Commvault deployments, mm-hmm. as in Commvault servers and media, master media servers or whatever... Um, in one data center, does that count as a single deployment or is one of those installations of a master and media service classed as a deployment? You know, the detail is what you end up having to go into. And the problem is that each vendor has slightly different ways of working, right? So some of them, you will have that case where a single can handle large, others, it's all just individuals that kind of work together. And then what becomes of the fact that they might have yet another UI that tries to manage all of these independently, but really isn't all independent. Exactly. So you end up with like a master of masters that's trying to oversee all of the different um, other environments and that might work. It might not work, but then again, it depends. If you don't have a need to move data between those different platforms in order to do restores or to back up, you might not care that they're all separate, but then if you do have a need, you might care. So again, (laughs) you just said, Prasanna, the the architecture comes into a discussion that sort of can negate some of those numbers and some of those assumptions. Chris, Muller, do you have any additional? I'd have expected more technical rigor from them than merely asking a frankly silly question like they did. I understand the difficulty it would be, you know, we, we've talked about it a few minutes here and, and Prasanna mentioned that uh, everybody has a different way of measuring it. Um, and and I'll just say, uh, you know, I'll just, you know, say the obvious. I didn't like how they rated our, how scalable our solution was because I felt that that particular metric wasn't, wasn't fair to the way our uh, solution was uh, architected. Um, but the uh, and our, and our time in the market, right? We've only been selling data center solutions for five years. The um, I'm somewhere between Chris and Chris here, you know, in terms of whether or not it was lazy or uh, I, I don't know what. Do, does anybody have a better way that they could have done this? Well, I don't think the term scalability is right. I think largest deployed system is what they should have said rather than scalability. Because in theory, Cohesity might be the most scalable system of all because its software can support 10,000 nodes in a cluster. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But they didn't ask questions like that. Just ask what size your largest deployment. Well, golly gee, you know, I've had a lucky customer and he's bought a million dollars worth of kit and here I am. Lucky me. It's, It's unreal. I can't believe it. And especially, like you said, Chris, uh, I think just using the word scalability, people tend to have a certain uh, interpretation of that word. And using that to mean what's your largest customer doesn't match. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Well, if you didn't like what they did with scalability, you really wouldn't like what they did with recoverability. So let me ask you a question. When you look at the heading recoverability, what would you think that that uh, applies to? Anyone? Chris Meller, what, is that, what does that mean to you? How quickly you can recover a failed system. Okay. Disaster recovery is what I'm thinking of. Okay. Chris Evans? Uh, I have no idea what it means. 
recoverability could mean all sorts of things. It could mean my ability to recover, how how reliable the system is to recover. It could mean the time it takes to recover. Um, it could mean how practical it is to recover. It could mean different locations to recover. Recoverability to me means absolutely nothing. So what it means in this particular wave is the degree to which you can successfully stop and thwart a ransomware attack. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a journalist. Words matter. Recoverability. So there, there was a one to five thing. And in order to get a five, you had to be, and by the way, I, I think that backup solutions should be, you know, on the, um, they should be helping to proactively identify and stop ransomware, right? I know we, we do that on, mm. our, on our laptop solution side. Uh, we're working on adding that to the data center side. But in order to get a five and a one to five rating, you had to be on that end where you're, you're actively monitoring for and stopping ransomware. Um, if you were unable, there was one vendor on here that got a zero because they said that, I, I guess they said that they were unable to, um, to recover after a ransomware attack. So that, that, so if you were, if you're able to successfully recover and help someone put all their data back after a ransomware attack, you got a one, then there were additional levels of protection past that, that included things like looking for ransomware, actively stopping ransomware, et cetera. And that's what the recoverability uh, category was, was. Okay. That sounds to me like more like something like proactive data protection, pro proactive backup and recovery yeah. where you're, you're, you're more actively looking at the ability to be able to do it rather than the, the just pure recoverability because it's, it's about backup as well as it is about rec recovery. I think ransomware recoverability will be a far better and simpler term. Yeah, so it's something like that, ransomware protection or, you know, um, I mean, they've got this as, as <laughs> and yes, I represent a backup product that got a one on a five. And so I'm not real happy with this category, but, you know, because it makes it look like we have a low ability to recover. But I, I, I do think that th this is a valid category to to evaluate products on. But I, do, I just don't like the, the, the title, that the heading. Uh, it sounds like mm. sounds like Chris Miller. Um, <laughs> sounds like you you, you didn't like it very I'm much either. Agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Any other interesting? Uh, see, so we've got a number of things like you know, there's the things like product strategy, corporate strategy. Um, install base was was uh, one of the factors that you know. I'm, I'm just looking at the report now. In terms of data sources, they wanted to know whether or not, you know, you were backing up both the data center and the cloud and, and also backing up SaaS services. They wanted to know uh, different areas there. Can you think of, um, when you're evaluating companies like this, can you think of other things that maybe they they didn't talk about that? I can give you one that I'm, um, which may be in, in there, so you might have to correct me on it, um, Curtis, but that's the idea of um, mobility in terms of how you do your backups. So for sake of argument, if you were a, a, um, an enterprise that had been doing a lot of work on-prem, started moving applications to the mm -hmm. cloud, some of those applications moved, some might have come back, some might move to another cloud. For whatever reason, you've, you know, you've been moving the environment about, how easy is it to recover backups that were six months old into the cloud when actually they were backed up on-premises? How easy is it to me to, for me to rec rec recover from one cloud to another? Or one location to another 
So how easy can I actually move my applications around based on my requirements? And I'm not sure whether that's in those categories at all. Yeah, I, I, that's not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, it's like a hybrid multi-cloud mobility measure. That seems useful. That's yeah. that's three words. We don't have room for that in, in the column. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do have professional services and consulting, so that that that's uh, maybe that would work. You know, I think that's a great thing to to ask because. That is what's happening right now, right? Um, you know, I, you know, different companies have given different stats. You know, I've heard everything up to like that ninety percent of workloads will be moved to the cloud by twenty twenty three or whatever. I, you guys have heard similar stats, right? Mm, yeah. Um, I, I don't know the degree to which that will all be true. Um, I, I think that you know what we will have at some point. You know, well, we're already experiencing some of the trough of dis disillusionment now, right? Um, that some people try to migrate some workloads to the cloud, and it ends up because they didn't re-architect for the cloud, it ends up costing them a lot more. There is something going on here in which virtually all the suppliers we deal with have a large on-premises business. Mm -hmm. So they're naturally in favor of hybrid clouds. They don't want to tell their customers they're wrong to go to the cloud, but they love the idea of hybrid clouds. And as soon as people start talking about repatriation, you can hear the huge sighs of relief coming from all the on-premises vendors. Ah, repatriation, good idea. We must support it. Interesting. Yeah, you know, there, there, there are definitely, I, I would say, well, obviously, in this report, there's there's only one vendor, that being Druva, that's not, uh, you know, an on-premises uh, software or hardware vendor, right? The thing I was heading towards was, I'll just say, if much of what we think of compute today is going to migrate to the cloud, the question that you're posing, Chris, is is going to become a much bigger question as I move workloads to and possibly back from the cloud, my recovery of that solution shouldn't be in jeopardy. Is that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And Curtis, um, I think there's also one thing that you're missing though, and that's also the just the fact that when those workloads move to the cloud, I still need to back those up, right? So am I going to have two different solutions, one on-premises, one in the cloud? Like how difficult is it to still continue doing my backups once my workloads are moving around? Yeah, and let me just add one little bit to that, um, Prasanna. And that's the question of once things start getting mobile and once we're not talking about virtual machines and we're talking about containers and we're talking about file shares and volumes that are mapped to containers where the actual entity that contains the application might be very ethereal and very short term or might be restarted and might have a different ID or a different identity. One of the problems you're going to have is that you need to work out where your backup was taken of the application and when. So did I back that application up on-prem or did I back it up in the cloud? When did it move? What was it called when I did that? Because you can guarantee that the name it was called when it was on-premises is probably not going to match the naming standard of it in the cloud. And if you move that application to a container, it won't be the same either. So you need some way of determining what your application is called and what the data is associated with it and the entity that was backed up in order to protect that data. I don't really see any of that out there. You just fingered a massive, absolutely massive metadata problem <laughs> for backups. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think relative to what Prasanna said, if I was a customer, I'd really, really love the idea of having one backup environment, which somehow abstracted all this away from me. And I could just use this one backup facility for backing up on-prem, in Google, in AWS, 
from one to the other, across to the others, and so on and so forth. And it covers virtualization and containers. Yeah, and it's focused on the application. Yeah, I'll say as a you know, as someone who's specialized in backup for way too long, this idea of the idea of containers and the things that they represent, while I am excited from a technological standpoint of the things that they represent, to me it represents a future massive uh, mix-up in the backup world, right? Um, we, you know, we had a we had what I would think of as a minor mix-up when we went to uh, virtualization, right? Because we had to completely re-architect backup systems to deal with virtualization. You couldn't just put your regular old backup agent on a VM and just back it up the way you always did because it just it just broke things from an IO perspective. And so we had to we had to do this two-level approach where we backed up at the hypervisor level and we backed up the VMs individually. Now that the storage, you know, in the container world where the storage is separate, completely separate and managed separate from the compute, you know, the metadata problem that Chris brings up, I, I think is is going to be the next big problem. So translate that back to the the matrix and the uh the categories we were just talking about, I would say we should really look at those categories and say, if I was a customer, what problems have I got like that and other things that their products are going to solve? And do, do, do those categories talk to my challenges and solutions for that? And if it does, then that's a great matrix. If it doesn't, it doesn't really help me. Yeah, and, and I would agree that, that that what is super important for somebody who's value, reading this report is to whatever you do, don't just look at the headings because it, it's you know when you when you look at the report, the first thing you see is the wave. The second thing you see is a listing of the table, which lists all the categories and the ratings. If you look no further, I think you will you will be doing yourself a vast disservice because you'll get headings like recoverability, uh, and you'll end up thinking either overly positive or overly negative perhaps of a particular vendor simply because the heading doesn't match the so just make sure that you're aware of you know how those ratings were determined and 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 then also like you said whether or not those categories apply to you right what sort of rating those categories have in your world chris uh meller yeah, any I'm, thoughts I'm, on that i'm agreeing and nodding silent in the background i think for sure if you want to cut down the number of people you look at, then use a couple of the categories like strong performers and leaders in the Forrester Wave sense. But then within those categories, start examining the suppliers very carefully and rating them according to your own requirements and look at the critical capabilities of, or the equivalent that Forrester would have about them. Is this one of those things, though, Chris, that it's just kind of a one of the sources that you use for finding out which vendor you want to use, where there are other sources like... Um, other publications, customers, references, that sort of thing that you would recommend for customers trying to decide on a vendor? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Again, it's like buying a car in a way, isn't it? You you, you look at the, the reviews and so forth, but then you want to talk to people who've had them, fellow drivers and so on. You want to have a test drive. You want to find out about all the financial concerns around buying a car and so forth. It's not a simple checklist. Right. I think that's the same. That's the same with anything, isn't it? That, that way, you have to do some sort of evaluation, um, whether it's the use of the online sites that will tell you, like TripAdvisor or any of those sort of things. You want to understand 
different points of view and different opinions. The challenge with any of that, just like if you go on TripAdvisor and you look at any of those ratings, is that some people might have had a bad day and just hated where they were. Other people might have had a bad day and accepted that it wasn't the, you know, the, the hotel's fault for sake of argument. Those things can also be very subjective. So it tends to be, as you just said, Chris, a mix of many different things that you, you take into consideration, one of which is these sort of report, this sort of report. Right. Well, uh, listen, I want to thank both, both Chris's <laughs> for participating in this uh, podcast. This is the first time either of you have been on my podcast. So I want to Thank you very much for attending. Thanks, Chris Meller. It's a pleasure, Curtis. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Me as well. And Chris Evans, thank you uh, uh, once again. It's nice to know I haven't got to do any editing for this. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and of course, Prasanna, thanks uh, for you know putting up with me another episode. <laughs> Not a problem. Thank you, Chris and Chris. It was a pleasure chatting with you both. Thanks again to our listeners and make sure to subscribe so that you will always be able to restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. To bet your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up See how I'll write on Facebook about you Don't underestimate the things that I will do There was a file, but I deleted it Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit Completely done Maybe one day It'll 